uh, the kid with like wild hair with a black heavy metal band t-shirt talking about the 50 shows that he's been to this year and the music he's playing with in his band. You can guess by what that dude does and the things he talks about um, that he loves music. Right? If, you, if you look at your neighbor right, and you see this kid outside with his dad every day passing baseball for like a couple hours just throwing heat, you can guess two things. This kid loves baseball and he's trying to get better and this dad really loves his kid. Right? The things that we do make what we love known. The things that we do reflect where our heart is. You know, what we do with our money, what we do with our uh, time, what we do with our skills, is a, it shows us where our heart is positioned, what we're focusing on. And Jesus tells us um, that in order to show that our heart is faced towards him, that we are to serve other people, right? that we're supposed to do so in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, dying in our place as a substitute, taking God's wrath on our behalf so we could be reconciled to him. That kind of gratitude for what he has done for us is what, should, is, is what motivates us to show him how much we love him and what we do. So we're going to go to Ephesians 1, 4 through 7, and then we're going to be in Ephesians again. Uh, there's blue Bibles here. If you guys don't have a Bible, take that with you. Take it home with you. It's a good translation, and it's going to be up here behind me. So Ephesians 1, 4 through 7. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. All right, so God has chosen us and chosen to save us. Everyone in this room that has placed their faith in Jesus, God chose to show you this kind of special love before you were born. This is how much that he loved you and wanted to save you as an individual as well as the whole church. He loved you so much that he purchased you with Jesus' blood. He bought you back from his own wrath. That's the kind of love that God has for you, but that is not the end. I just wanted, to, I wanted you guys to hear that bit of scripture so you know how much God loves you, that before you were born, before you had done anything good or bad, God chose to love you like that. But that is not the end. God has plans for us to fulfill. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul writes, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. So we're not saved for what we, by what we do or how much we serve. All right? And then he says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. But pay attention here. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So in addition to God loving you before you were born, and in addition to God choosing you before you were born, God also chose good deeds for you to do after you came to faith in Jesus. It's not, I'm going to save you, and that's the end of it. Go do whatever. It's, I saved you for good works. I saved you because there are things that I want you to accomplish because there's work that I want done in my name that's going to bring me glory, and you have a job to do. Just as much as he loved you, that was his plan for you. And this method of saving people for good works is nothing new. God has done this Forever. He has always done this. You can look at Old Testament Israel. I don't know how much of you guys are familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, Israel, small nation. God chose them because he loved them, and it brought him great pleasure to choose them so that he could show his glory through them. All right, they were in slavery to Egypt. God brought them out of slavery. 
Not only did he bring them out of slavery, but he conquered their enemies time after time. And then he gave them promised land. He gave them the land that he had promised to them for them to inhabit. And he called them his special possession. He loved them. He did all these things for them. But that wasn't the end for Israel's plan. God had things for them to do. Right? There's a lot of commands in the Old Testament, things that God uh, tells them to do and not to do. I think there was 316 laws altogether. All right? And a huge portion of these laws were take care of the poor. Be open-handed to people who are in need. Take care of the outcast. If, there was actually one, I think this is awesome. If someone rolled up to you and knocked on your door and said, I have nowhere to go tonight, you were obligated by law to let them in your home and take care of them for the evening. There, there was, there was a, a law that said whenever you're harvesting your fields, right, whatever, whatever food you're harvesting doesn't make it into your basket and falls off onto the ground, you do not go back and pick it up because the poor are going to come behind you and they're going to pick up what you've dropped. You have enough in that basket for you. They have nothing. I want you to take care of the poor. Constant. There's laws that keep the poor from being oppressed left and right that keep the poor um, Keep the poor and keep the outcast loved and taken care of, taken care of. You know, one of the one of the craziest things, not crazy, it's just awesome and it's and it's just scary. God tells the Israelites, if the oppressed and the poor and the orphan and the widow cry out to me because you've ignored them, you're in trouble. Because I'll hear them and we're gonna have a problem. You know, and I, also Israel. So you got all these commands. God's saved them. God's made them his special possession that he loves very much. He gives him these commands to take care of the poor. In addition to that, Israel was in the middle of everything. If you wanted to do trade and you were from another country, the good chance you were going through Israel. So here's God's plan for Israel. I have rescued you. I have made you my people. I have showed you special love that I have not shown to other countries. Now take care of the poor. And as people, walk, as people travel through your country, as they meet you, They're going to see you living a life wholly different from theirs. They're going to see you taking care of people that no one else will take care of. They're going to see you loving the unlovable, caring for the oppressed, people that have nothing. And God's plan for the church is the same. This whole idea, people are going to see that you live differently, that you do things that seem not to make any sense, that you put other people ahead of yourself, and they're going to say, what is that? Why would they do these things? And then the Israelites could look at them and say, because I follow the one true living God, and he has commanded me to do so because he loved me first. Our plan, God's plan for the church in the New Testament is no different. Go with me here. Everything in the Old Testament points to bigger, better things in the New Testament. God chose you to love you and save you because it brought him pleasure. Just like he picked Israel because it brought him pleasure and because he willed it and because he loved them. God rescued us from our slavery to sin and our own nature and made us righteous and brought us to him. So now we're slaves to righteousness and not sin. God has conquered, not just our, or God hasn't conquered our enemies like he did for Israel, but he conquered our enemy death. Because through faith in Jesus, we're raised to new life. He promises us heaven, not just land here. And he calls us his bride. Everything that Israel got, we get better. So Israel's 
God's plan for Israel is the same as his plan for us. God has plans for us to fulfill. Jesus says, be my disciples. We are to imitate Jesus. So let's think about what, what's some of the stuff Jesus did. Jesus fed the poor. He healed the sick. He befriended the outcasts, right? The worst of the worst in his society, tax collectors and prostitutes. Just so you guys know, tax collectors were the most hated people, the most despised people in our culture that would be drug addicts, people that deal drugs, people that have done things to their families that you would, you would not want to be around this kind of person, most likely. Jesus was the guy that was their friend. And he didn't care. He didn't care what the religious people thought. He was going to the people that needed help the most. And he didn't care what anyone had to say about it. He wasn't afraid to, to associate with sinners. He loved them and he showed them that kind of love. And we're supposed to do the same. Those are the kinds of things that the church is called to do. We're called to get up off of our butts, go outside of these four walls, and go and help people out there in our community. That's what we're called to do. You know, that's why we provide opportunities for you guys to go and serve in the East End with us. That's why. We want that to be a springboard so you guys can see what service looks like and begin to obey these commands that Jesus has given us. But service isn't just big stuff, like huge organized things. Service can be anything. Right? You see the dude begging on the side of the road, you stop. Right? You don't just drive by like a jerk. Like you're too busy. You don't have enough time to help somebody. You stop. You help that dude. Get him some food, whatever he needs. You make friends with someone you normally wouldn't make friends with, normally wouldn't give them the time of day. You become family to other believers. Struggle with them. Right? Pray for people that you know. Pray for our city. When you, what I'm saying is whenever you see an opportunity to make someone's life easier, you take it. That's what service is. No matter how big or how small it is, whenever you see an opportunity to make someone's life easier, you just take it. And I'll tell you this right now, These commands are not optional. They're not. I'm I'm going to paraphrase Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Look me up if you think that I'm getting it wrong. This is final judgment. This is what Jesus says we will be judged on when we die. He says whenever he's sitting in judgment, he separates the sheep from the goats. Sheep from the goats, not sheeps. Yeah, grammar. You don't, want to be on, you don't want to be a goat in this scenario. You want to be on Jesus' right hand, and you want to be a sheep. And he says to the people on his right, he said, You fed me. You gave me something to drink. You visited me when I was sick. You, you visited me when I was in prison. You gave me shelter when I had nowhere to go. Come on in. You're coming to heaven with me. You're my people. You are righteous. And they said, When did we ever see you? Whenever you were hungry or needed clothing or when did we ever see you whenever you were sick or in prison? And he said, I tell you this, whatever you did to the least of these among you, my brothers and sisters, you did to me. And then to the people on his left, he says, get away from me. You're you're going to hell because you did nothing to help me. You did not give me food. You did not give me drink. You did not give me clothing. You did not give me shelter. You did nothing for me. And they say, when did we see you in need? And he said, what you failed to do for the people that needed help among you, you refused to help me. 
what you didn't do to them, you were denying me. That's heavy. That's what we're judged on. Now I'll say this, we are saved by faith. 100%, no questions asked. That is not disputable at all. We are saved by our faith in Christ alone. We are not saved by how much we serve. We are not saved by our good works at all. Paul makes that incredibly clear. But what we do proves if we truly have faith in Jesus or not. Meeting Jesus changes everything about us. It changes everything that we are and everything that we do. I'll tell you this, guys. We don't do these things. We don't serve out of fear. We don't serve out of fear because, oh man, if I don't do enough good works, if I don't serve enough people, I'm not going to heaven. It doesn't work that way. We serve out of gratitude, which is a much, much stronger motivation than fear. We serve because we love Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And my commandments to you are to go and help people who need help. And why wouldn't we love Jesus? Especially for those of us who are Christians, right? To other people, this doesn't make any sense. Why would I love Jesus? But for those of us who believe that we were separated from God by our sin, deserving hell for the things that we had done, that we had never helped people, we had ignored people, we had only helped when it was convenient for us, whenever God has commanded us to help everyone that we see when we are able... That kind of sin, that alone is enough to damn us, not counting all the other junk that we've done against God to rebel against him. If we believe that we are that kind of wicked and deserving hell, but that God in love sent Jesus to live a sinless life, always doing the commands of God, always fulfilling out what Israel and the church is supposed to do, and then being sinless takes our sin on himself, suffers God's wrath for the things that you and I have done, and dies on the cross and then is raised to life three days later to prove that God accepts his substitutionary sacrifice on